0: Welcome to the Contractor Success Forum. Today we are discussing the differences in accounting for construction. And we at the Contractor Success Forum discuss financial strategies for running a more profitable, successful construction business. And in one corner, we have Wade Carpenter, Carpenter and Company CPAs, helping contractors nationwide to become permanently profitable for over 30 years. Wade provides accounting, auditing, bookkeeping and consulting with tax matters in construction. And in the other corner, we have Stephen Brown. He's providing construction risk control through bonding and insurance. Stephen stays relevant through a career dedicated to solving the needs of his clients and offering solutions that work for his customers. With over $500 million of bonds approved in just the last five years, Stephen is poised to help take you to the next level. Stephen is with McDaniel Whitley Bonding and Insurance Agency. And I am Rob Williams, your profit strategist with Iron Gate Entrepreneurial Support Systems. I'm helping drive profits in your business with decades of experience as a contractor myself. So today, guys, wait, are there any differences between accounting
1: for construction versus other businesses? How could they be different? Well, absolutely they are. And I'm here to tell you, that construction accounting is not taught in school. Basic accounting is taught in school. There's a lot of different methods and there's a lot of different individual quirks from construction that are just not taught in school. So the question came up, like, why do you need a construction CPA? A lot of CPAs don't know the rules, quite frankly, from the gap standpoint, you know, accounting principles, as well as the tax principles, they are different. Oh, yeah. Stephen, in in your bonding
2: experience? Generally accepted accounting principles for contractors, there's a whole book on it that just about every underwriter, underwriter, trainee, and agent has read about contracting. And then for the bonding standpoint, there's percentage of completion accounting uh, methods that are everything. It's the engine that drives our ability to keep your bonds going throughout the year not just based on what your fiscal year end says, but it's what drives your bond program.
0: Yeah. For so long, I guess, I guess I'm old. So I was around this a long time. I guess I didn't understand what gap meant because we did our taxes, excuse me, our, our, well, that's what we do. Our accounting, we did it for tax purposes and we did it the way we wanted to report it. And then the, the, accountants or or the guys that would do the stuff to give to Steven to give to the bonding agency, they would take our books and then do whatever they had to make it gap where it's supposed to be the other way around. So I just didn't really understand what gap was for construction. I thought we were all just deciding what the best method that would make the most sense to us. I didn't realize for decades that they, they had a book that told them how that there was a standard way that everybody needs to be doing this.
2: And did we make clear GAP stands for Generally Accepted Accounting Practices? Is that right? No, principles, yeah. Principles, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Which are and generally accepted. And, and it members. is
2: not the
0: IRS. I didn't realize that. It's, it's different.
1: It is different. And believe it or not, there are different hybrid methods for the IRS that are acceptable that are not acceptable for GAP. And there are some rules for accounting methods for for tax purposes that don't follow a gap either. So uh, if we're going to talk about accounting methods, you have a cruel method taught in school to an extent you have a cash method taught in school. That is it. But what, what Stephen's looking at is percentage of completion. And there may be some other methods like completed contract we can talk about in a minute. But with cash or accrual, it's very easy to say you could be way... Or build in advance on your jobs and look really good on a cash basis. But you could be so far underwater on that job that you could be next to being out of business because you're out of work. And the percentage of completion is the reason why the bonding companies want it, because that's a truer picture of where they are. Before we get too
0: deep in it, let our listeners know, okay, why do we do GAP? What you were just saying, it's a standardization. Is that right? So people like the banks and Steven and them can
1: know what they're looking at to compare them to? It is the standardization for accounting. This is what we're supposed to be following. And I guess I could also say that there are different um, types of construction that percentage of completion is also not necessarily the accepted method for that. If you've got a construction management job, that would be accounted differently from something like this, a typical construction contract where you would do percentage of completion. Something like a developer or just, we don't talk about on the residential side as much, but a home builder that's doing spec homes, they're essentially doing accounting or they should be doing accounting based on completed contract method. It's essentially inventory for your costs and it's a liability for your, your billings until you complete that job or you sell that house. Does
0: everybody need to do gap? That was my one thing. Cause I've run into some guys that say, I don't want to go into the commercial I'm not going to do a bonding job. I got to do all that different accounting stuff that I don't understand. So, so you can run a business without gap if you don't need financing and if you don't need, Well, you might, there's another way to get financing, but if you don't need a big bond and if you don't need regular, I'm calling it regular financing that's compared to that, then you don't need to do gap. I guess you could put up collateral or something for that. I I don't know if the bonding, if you can get bonded without doing gap accounting.
1: Yeah. Okay. I was wondering about that. Yeah. You can get by with a banker and not to knock a banker, but most of the bankers don't know the difference. You could have report on accrual basis or or cash basis or your tax method. Typically, a lot of bankers will look at your tax return and that's the only way to do it. And mm-hmm. we may have a very different method of accounting for your tax purposes. And it's unfortunate because we're trying to minimize your taxes, but to maximize your financial statement or maximize bonding, we follow GAP, and we do different things to, to get there.
0: Yeah, I think this is one of the big hurdles that people have that take the road that I did that went from residential to the commercial side. And, and this was one of the intimidating factors of, of having to go through GAP and having to make these changes that we didn't even know what the heck we were looking at doing. So it's it's kind of a big deal, but it's not a big deal. And I don't know how much it changes the business as long as they've got somebody to re- it now they can't have their regular bookkeeper probably do gap accounting because most of the people they're just doing a cash basis set of books that i see the small guys and to convert to this it's probably going to take more than the bookkeeper it's your cousin in the back that needed some work or something that's doing that so your cousin may be smart but but you need somebody with experience with gap to do that anyway i hope i hope i'm not getting off of the topic, but on the differences of that, some of the differences to me are the intimidation factors of, of switching this. And why do you even need it?
1: Well, number one, the distortion factor. If you are on a cruel basis, you could build a whole bunch up front, but you may not be able to collect that. You may have a bunch of retained or whatever, but you know, the reason percentage of completion kind of gets that out. If you're way far overbuild, build ahead, that's what we want to do you may not have earned that much yet. So you actually could be having a liability and it brings that revenue back to a point of what have you actually earned based on the percentage that you've gotten done. Conversely, you could be so far underbuild, and Stephen and his underwriters are, are probably looking at how much are you overbuild or underbuild as a percentage of different things on your balance sheet or your revenue. But a lot of the things that we're doing on a percentage of completion basis are not intuitive. If I had a accrual basis or a cash basis contractor and I increase my cost, what does that do to my profit? It brings our profit down. Now, on percentage of completion, if we increase, this doesn't make sense to people unless they really think about it. If you increase costs on jobs that you are making profit on, you're increasing your percentage of completion you're also going to be bumping up your profit. So a lot of people try to avoid getting their bills in or whatever. Well, number one, it's uh distorting the picture, but number two, you're shooting yourself in the foot with percentage of completion in the accounting. Does that make sense? Because we're going to make an adjustment for whether you're over or under bill based on whatever percentage and your revenue based on whatever that percentage of completion you actually are. Do you actually
0: define the over or under billing in there? Maybe it gets difficult. I know on some of these tests that Stephen and <laughs> were in some classes, th- just the concept of over and under billing, I, I got it until they started asking me these really detailed questions on these
1: tests <laughs> and, and how it affected things. Let's just take some easy examples. Let's say we had a $100,000 cost. We're expecting a $200,000 Revenue. The whole contract is going to be two hundred thousand. We got fifty thousand dollars of costs in on that job, so fifty thousand of the hundred thousand we're expecting in costs. That's going to be fifty percent of revenue. Well, number one, going back to what I said before, if we actually had some costs like ten thousand dollars more of costs, that would be sixty thousand dollars worth of revenue, or sixty percent, and sixty percent of two hundred thousand would be one hundred twenty thousand dollars of revenue earned. We may have billed 140000 So in that case, we would be overbilled by $20,000. We've earned revenue up to $120,000. i am not trying to get too deep in the woods, but does that kind of make sense to you guys?
0: Yeah, it does, but it definitely gets your head spinning sometimes because you've got the cost. And When you're in the residential world, you just have a cost. When the cost goes up, your billing in your contract was the same, Right. where the cost and the billing, the, the revenue is tied to your cost and you get these percents. That's the thing that is not intuitive for the guys coming from the residential. Because if you got a $100,000 addition you're doing and you spend 60000 this month instead of fifty, well, you're just $10,000 over budget. It didn't change your billing. It didn't change anything like that. In 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 the commercial, you've got to realize with the, when that cost is going up, and what do you do with that extra ten that you're over budget? Going ahead and reporting that now is over budget, under budget, under billing, over billing, and then then I guess you're trying to line that back up with with what your contract is.
2: We had a whole podcast on over and under billings. I remember under billings show up as a asset because. Uh, you haven't billed out, but you've incurred cost. So that's an asset. But overbillings is the work that you haven't performed. The cost haven't been accounted for yet.
1: And that that's one of the things, I know we could talk about cash flow all day long too, but encouraging your subs or your material suppliers to get their bills in before you do your billing. A lot of people say, I don't want to pay that yet. Well, but if you get that bill in, whether you paid it or not, a lot of people don't realize how much cost they've actually got in that job and then they're sitting on expenses they've already incurred and, and work they, they've already done. So it's counterintuitive, but it definitely helps bump up the profit as long as you got a profitable job. If you've got a negative job, well you may want to take a you know a lost job you may want to take a little different approach to it. But
0: right. Yeah that's that was my example a minute ago. Yeah
1: that that gets a little difficult. So but we'll you know one of the things that I know we we also wanted to talk about this time is we can't really do percentage of completion or a completed contract if we don't have job costing great point no that's one of our hot topics that we talk about, but number one, job costing is not taught in schools, so maybe more advanced manufacturing type things where we're costing out but I just had this conversation with a multifamily general contractor last week that you know basically has has exploded in growth but they have no job costing and they can't get it in their heads that they got to do this number one in school they teach you well okay so you got an expense that goes to materials but not well it goes to materials and we're going to cost this to this job and usually when i price out like doing bookkeeping services for construction contractors We kind of put it in two different buckets. Do we want to do like basic job costing or detailed job costing? Basic job costing would say, I want to put this cost for materials into just that chart of accounts. Detailed job costing is going to say like this, say it was a subcontractor. Well, basic would say we're going to put it to subcontract expense, but detail would say, well, we had a electrical subcontractor, HVAC subcontractor, the phases and cost codes is what I refer to it as getting down to a little more. We don't have to get too deep in the details, but, you know, if you've got a contractor and you've never done this, maybe you need to start with the five categories, materials, labor, subs, equipment, and other. If you can do that, that's a great start. And, you know, if you make it too complicated from the start, sometimes it's just tough to do. But, you know, I have that multifamily never been bonded and now they're being approached by a bonding company they got a job, they've got a bond and they want us to create a whip report with nothing. Mm. You know, so with no job costing
0: and it's tough. You don't know where you are in the middle of the job without the job costing and stuff, especially the longer the jobs go. And you're, if you're building a one month project, you probably don't need that stuff as you start it and then you finish it. But but when you're in the middle of that, how do you know where you are at, at, for these monthly, quarterly reports, financials, and, and get some reasonably accurate picture? And I, I guess the only way to do it is with job costing. That's how I know how to do it.
2: From a bonding standpoint, you get these credit score bonds, usually up to about a half a million dollars. Over that, you got to produce some reports, accounting report. That's that's just the way it is. You have to be able to show what you're billing. Your receivables, what your costs are, and these companies that want to transition from credit scoring bond programs to regular programs—they don't get how huge that gap
1: is. Yep, and
2: mm-hmm. I'm not talking about
1: gap GAA. We we're just talking about that, but yeah, I mean, one of the things I hear from contractors all the time is like, "I run it by what's in my bank account, and I, in my gut, I know how I'm doing on this job." Well. Your gut can be wrong, and a lot of times in your gut, your overhead factor may be something that has absolutely nothing to do with what's actually your overhead factor should be. But from a profit first standpoint, if we're going to do that, well, number one, you can get so far with putting things in the OPEX bucket, and that's when we need to start breaking it down more into materials and subs and things like that. You know, you don't really know about what's in your bank account
2: because it can fool you. Also, you're not getting bids. You're just right in the middle or you're high and you don't understand how can so-and-so be doing this job for that amount? That's my cost. Is it really? For sure. that They may be bidding it below cost, but do you really know? I
1: know this whole podcast is about differences in construction accounting. I don't think we're going to hit all of them today, but one of the other ones I wanted to talk about was retaining receivable because- so many people treat that incorrectly on their books. And number one, when you bill on an AIA billing and they say take out 10% for retainage, and you had, say, a billing of $100,000 and they took out 10,000 retainage, well, your revenue should reflect $100,000. And you should have $90,000 sitting in your accounts receivable. And you should have a separate uh, tracking of your retainage receivable for the remaining 10. I see people in their books, they'll show $90,000. And this particular contractor that I was talking about with the multifamily stuff, they always back that out and they wanted a whip report. And their billing needs to reflect the entire billing that they've earned, including that retainage. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I'll see a retainage column on a age receivable list. It makes
1: a lot of sense. And again, going back to The fact that you need to have that in a separate account, because number one, if you put it all in your accounts receivable column, you're going to look like you're taking 120 days or more, depending on how long your contracts go before you collect that retainage. You're going to look out of whack to your bonding companies. They're going to say, why are your receivables so high? You're not collecting any money. If they understand that that retainage, if it's in a separate bucket, they understand that if you're seeing your regular accounts receivable is over 90 days they're going to throw it out the window because they know you're probably not going to collect the regular accounts receivable once it gets over a certain period of time
0: when you see that retainage in there and you, you said you've you've already realized the revenue you you've already put that there. Have you realized that for tax purposes, or are you you waiting till you receive it to to do it on tax purposes? Well, so, uh, for tax
1: purposes, that's they're different. Oh, this is
0: gap, right? This is not tax. This is, this is gap. This is gap,
1: and that's the things we got to get straight in our head because this is gap, and, and we got to remember. That's a great example because retained receivable. There are hybrid methods in accounting. If you know how to apply it, you can do an accrual basis less retainage receivable. That's an accepted accounting method. And it's not a gap method. It's not anything. And unless you know, construction accounting, you would never know that you could do that.
0: So what you're saying is if we're, I guess, typically they're billing that they've got the whole billing thing. It's down there. It's the revenue, but then they've got this, I guess it's an asset left over. Is it, would it be an asset? It It would be an asset, but you've already got that revenue but you make an adjustment for your taxes
1: if if you're on a accrual less, you know, it's a hybrid method, but yeah, if if you're on accrual, less retainage. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, so those, those are a lot of basic questions that I'll get and think about when we're talking about that. So, well, I don't, I don't want to pay taxes on, I may never receive that and I haven't received it yet. So yeah, exactly.
1: And I know we, we're probably running out of time here. There's other things like retainage payable that kind of goes the other way. And you really got to think about those kind of things. There's, you know, like construction draws, right? we could talk about it depending on if you're getting bank mine are typically could, commercial guys, but if you're like a home builder and you're getting construction draws or something like that, they're going to have phase code, cost code kind of thing that the bank's going to require. So there's a lot of different things that we haven't even really touched on with the construction accounting, but just know that they do not teach a lot of these concepts in school, even to CPAs, you know, even yeah. the advanced stuff, they don't teach this because it's it's not something that people do every day. And unfortunately, like a bookkeeper or whatever, a lot of them never learn that if they, they try to go to the local college and take a course, it's not out there because they don't teach it. And you got to learn it on the job or from somebody that knows these laws and the, from the tax side or whatever. That's why you can't just jump out of school and throw it in your QuickBooks and expect it to be right.
0: Those are some great points. Really good points. And the fact that, you know, after all these years, I still. Get it in my mind that, that there's sort of two sets of books. There's a set of books that you pay taxes. They're not two sets of books, but I guess it'd be better to say they're adjustments for taxes because two sets yeah, of books like I, you're doing I, something I threw, I
2: threw that out once on one of our podcasts. And yeah. I was wrong and I was corrected on
1: it. There are not two sets of books. That's just it. Well, I know it sounds bad. And if you actually do have two sets of books, well, if that's the one you're trying to hide from the IRS, well, those, those are the ones you're going to jail for. So <laughs> I guess on
2: that note, we Okay, should. good point, Wade. So one way you learn about accounting for contractors is through the Contractor Success Forum. And you also, we've been preaching all along, you need a construction-oriented accountant who does this all the time. There's a lot of tweaking that can be done that can really benefit you by
1: the right accountant Any other ways, Wade? Well, again, believe it or not, I would say 90% of the CPAs out there, probably more than 90% don't know these rules unless they specialize. It's certainly frustrating for me to
2: try to get bonds for uh, commercial contractors that don't get that. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that's great. Well, this has been very, very insightful and thought-provoking. So that's that's the big thing is you're definitely not going to get all this in one little podcast, but it, it starts your brain flowing. So hopefully there's one or two points that we pick up that'll just register. It's one of these things that you have to hear over and over and over again to, to sink into your head, especially if you've been around for a while, if you didn't begin with the gap principles that we were just talking about. So this has been a great show, guys. I appreciate you coming out early this morning to get on the Contractor Success Forum. Thank you, Wade Carpenter, Carpenter and Company CPAs, and Stephen Brown with McDaniel Whitley Bonding and Insurance Agency, and I'm Rob Williams with Iron Gate Entrepreneurial Support System. Thanks for being here today. If you need our information, if you need to get in touch with Wade, check out our show notes or our webpage, ContractorsSuccessForum.com, and you can ask him some of these gap questions and see if he can help you. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.